the scripture for today is Acts 19, 1 through 10. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. John, excuse me, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we are listening. We are hungry for your presence. Fall on us today. Thank you, Kay. Uh, it is great to be here with all of you today, and it's uh, great to be in the house of the Lord together. And I want to welcome all of you who are worshiping with us online. And... Um, you know, in just a little bit, we're going to be celebrating communion, so if you have an opportunity to go and get your communion elements ready at home, usually it's some kind of juice and bread or cracker, but, you know, uh, you can be flexible with, with what you use. Um, I've also noticed some secrecy going on around here. Apparently, there's a lot about my retirement Sunday next week that everybody knows except me. All I know is that I am budgeted 15 minutes for the message. But the way I look at it, if I go longer, who's going to stop me? <laughs> right? And after the service, uh, I think you're going to get to see a video. And then we're heading to uh, the gym, as Dustin called it, for a pizza reception, which means we're going to receive the pizza. And I want to say again how... Uh, Pleased I am that Cindy Stewart is going to be your next pastor. Um, and back in February, I kind of had a hopeful premonition that it might be her. Uh, and of course, I know, you know, there's sadness with every change. And it's, it's bittersweet for me and, and Trish as well. Every, every change of pastor is an adjustment. But you know, that's what so much of life is about. You know, it's adjusting to the changes of life. And I know that you will be fine, and I am counting on you to receive Cindy with the same kindness and openness with which you received me. And now I'd like us to join together in a prayer that's uh, uh, written by, in the, back in the 13th century by uh, Richard of Chichester. Let's pray. Thanks be to you, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits you have given me, 
for all the pains and insults you have borne for me. O most merciful Redeemer, friend, and brother, may I know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day by day. Amen. Forty-five years ago in August, I set off on an adventure. I moved to Kentucky to begin seminary. Uh, my parents and two of my grandparents uh, traveled along there to, as well to see me off. And uh, when I got there, I knew that all the regular dorms on campus were filled. And so I was one of about 10 students assigned to an old run-down dorm on the edge of town at a camp meeting ground. My family wasn't sure they wanted to leave me there. But it didn't matter to me. I was excited. I was preparing to be a pastor. Three years later, I graduated, and what an adventure these last 42 years have been. And you know, that's the way it is for all of us, though. When we belong to Jesus, he is the center of our lives. The Holy Spirit leads us on, and it's always an adventure. You are sent on an assignment from God every day. And who knows what he has in store for you today. Today is the eighth Sunday in our nine-week series called The Adventure, uh, where we're tagging along with the Apostle Paul on his missionary adventures. Our theme theme verse for this series is Acts 13, verse 4, Uh, talking about Paul and Barnabas as they were set off on the first journey. So here it is. Will you say it with me? All right. The two of them were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Now, would you grab a Bible? There should be one in front of you, or maybe you brought your own, or you've got it on your phone. Uh, We're going to open it to Acts chapter 19. Uh, In the Pew Bible, that starts on page 1113. And while you look that up, let me tell you a little bit about what leads up to it, all right? At the end of chapter 18, Paul completes his second missionary journey. Last week, we were with him in Corinth, uh, and on his way back, he stops in Ephesus, but he can't stay long. He promises to come back, and then he sails southeast. Now, here's a map of the second journey where we left off last week. Uh, Paul and his friends, they start out in Antioch of Syria, on your right, and then they end up in Corinth, uh, where they stay for 18 months. By this point, they have traveled more than 1,500 miles on this journey, most of it by foot, about the distance from here to Portland, Maine. They sail across the Aegean Sea to the city of Ephesus and stay a short time. And then uh, you can see they sail to Caesarea and then walk to Jerusalem and then back to the home base of Antioch of Syria. So they've made a complete circuit. I don't know, that's probably close to 3,000 miles. And then sometime later, Paul and his friends head out again on his third missionary journey. First to the towns in Galatia and Phrygia where they had been twice before. And then he returns to Ephesus, where he had stopped briefly on his way home the last time. Now, we don't know what the population of Ephesus was back then. Uh, Scholars have looked at it, have different opinions. Uh, But it is one of the biggest uh, cities in the region. 
The temple of Artemis is there considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, the city had an outdoor theater that could hold 25,000 people, the ruins of which can still be visited today. And while Paul's in Ephesus, he comes across a group that apparently had been disciples of John the baptizer. Uh, they had been baptized by John, and they may have known a little about Jesus, but it doesn't seem like very much. Let's start with verse 4, and when you follow along with me, if you got your Bible, uh, through verse 7, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. I think, whoa, talk about receptivity. These guys are like low-hanging fruit. They are ready to believe in Jesus. Just give me the word. They are the first converts in Ephesus. In the book of Acts, um, side note, there, there's no formula for when the Holy Spirit comes on someone. Like some certain way, you got to do it. Uh, in this time, it happens when Paul lays his hands on them, but there are other times when there's no laying on of hands. Uh, sometimes the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens before, during, or after water baptism. It's always tied to putting one's faith in Jesus, but sometimes that experience of the Holy Spirit can be delayed. Sometimes it's accompanied by speaking in tongues and prophesying, but other times not. And there can be subsequent experiences of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Well, what I really want to focus on today, though, is how receptive these 12 were, and they are, to the gospel. The timing is just right for them. God has them ready to go. But I'm also thinking about how does someone who's resistant to Jesus later become his deep, daring, daily disciples. Do you know? Do you know what the first step usually is? They develop a friendship with someone who belongs to Jesus. And that's it. The first step is friendship. And, and uh, so this person who's not a part of faith at all, even resistant to it, they, they have a friend who's a, a follower of Jesus, and they spend time together, they develop trust, and that friendship will often lead to spiritual curiosity. And that's why we talk so much about being a, flan, or being a blessed friend. You see the, the banners on either side in the worship center. Because most of the time, that's where it starts. It's you and I being a blessed friend. But for some, even when they have a good friend who's a believer, they're not going to give up their resistance easily. So let's go to verses 8 and 9. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some, not all, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. 
in those early decades, uh, they didn't usually talk about Christianity as a religion. Uh, in the book of Acts, a lot of times, it just calls it the way, you know, meaning the way of Jesus. And uh, wherever they went, Paul and his friends, they spoke out and lived out the way. And they could be met with both receptivity and resistance. And that's the simple lesson for us this morning. Here it is. When I boldly speak out and live out the way of Jesus, I will be met with receptivity and resistance. And that's the heart of the message today. I hope you'll uh, write it down, take it home, talk about it uh, with your groups and friends and family. Uh, some people uh, expect only receptivity. Others expect only resistance. But the truth is we're going to experience both. So let's say this together, shall we? Let's try it. When I boldly speak out and live out the way of Jesus... I will be met with receptivity and resistance. Now, if someone responds with resistance, don't take it personally. Unless you're being a jerk. Then you can take it personally, right? Uh, it, but usually it's about more, when, they, when they're resistant, it's about more than you. Sometimes they're just not ready yet. So keep praying. Give them time. And in our culture right now, there's a lot of influence, I think, that's, that's pushing people away from God. That's especially pushing people away from the gospel of Christ. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. The God of this age, meaning Satan working in the culture, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. And, and there's some mind-blinding going on in our age as well. But know this. The power of the Holy Spirit is at work whenever the gospel is proclaimed. And for some, their minds will begin to open to the Lord. So let's go on with the rest of verse 9 and into verse 10. So Paul left them. That is, he left the synagogue. And uh, he took... The disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Was his last name Rex, I wonder? Tyrannus Rex? Never mind. Uh, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I mean, it was just kind of the talk of the town. Like, what's going on there? You know, this is the longest that we know that Paul spent in any one place, three months in the synagogue two years in the lecture hall, and the total time might have even been longer than that. There's some clues that it may have been. And, and why does he stay so long? Because the Lord is working in such powerful ways. They're, they're seeing God doing all kinds of miracles, and, and, and believers, new believers are bringing their friends and their families to hear the gospel, and then many of them are putting their faith in Jesus and putting their lives in his hands. Here's something else that happened. In Ephesus, seven brothers tried to do exorcisms. They tried to drive out a demon using what you might call borrowed authority. So they're trying to do this, and they speak the phrase, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demon within the man says, 
Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man pounces on the brothers and, and beats all seven severely until they run off. And as you can imagine, the story about these seven beaten up brothers just traveled like wildfire everywhere. So let's skip down to, to verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. I mean, people are amazed. Verses 18 and 19. Many of those who believed uh, now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they had calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. So burning their, their sorcery scrolls is an act of, of personal repentance. They were no longer going to put their faith in magic spells. They didn't need that anymore. And I'm wondering, what do you have in your life, or maybe even in your house, that you need to get rid of? Maybe you need to set a fire to it. Not the house, the thing. Anyway, these are pricey scrolls, so this is a big sacrifice. It's hard to say what the equivalent of 50,000 ancient drachmas would would be today, but but it's at least several million dollars. They burn the scrolls because, why? Because they're all in with Jesus, right? Moving forward, let go of that, no looking back. This is the kind of receptivity that we're looking for, that we're praying for. When I boldly speak out, and live out the way of Jesus, I will be met with receptivity. In the book of Acts, um, Ephesus appears to be the city where the most people come to know Jesus, of all of Paul's travels. And we don't know what the lecture hall of Tyrannus is, um, you know, or how big it would have been. Could it accommodate hundreds, a thousand or more? Do they rent it? I wouldn't be surprised. Do people come in shifts to hear Paul preach and teach? So many people become disciples of Jesus in Ephesus that it impacts the local economy. Ephesus has a big business uh, around crafting idols for the worship of a certain Greek fertility goddess, the many-breasted Artemis. Uh, And all the priests of her temple are women. A silversmith named Demetrius, it's all in Acts 19, employs craftsmen, and uh, apparently his lucrative business is taking a hit. Maybe he's in danger of having to lay off a bunch of his workers. So he whips up a crowd in defense of the goddess Artemis at that 2,500-seat outdoor theater. And and he whips them up until it turns into an all-out riot. Verse 28. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! When I boldly speak out and live out the way of Jesus, I will be met with receptivity and resistance. It's going to happen because this world is a spiritual battleground. 
You know, one thing I've, I've learned is that boldness is great. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about we have to combine being bold with being respectful. Well, today I want to talk about how boldness also requires wisdom. Paul is so bold that he wants to go out and talk to the mob. But his friends and even some of the city officials hold him back because the crowd is in such a frenzy that they are way past the point of listening to anything. And Paul's not going to have a mic, (laughs) right? So if he goes out there, it's going to get ugly real fast. So, sisters and brothers, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, boldly speak out and live out the way of Jesus and ask God for wisdom. He'll give it to you. It's one of the great Bible promises. We ask for wisdom, we are given it. And as with Paul, many times that wisdom is going to come from a trusted friend. Uh, You know, people think, oh, Steve's a pastor. He always knows the right thing to do. Well, (laughs) no. Many, many, many times in my life, I've had to rely on the wisdom of trusted friends. Just this week. Expect, Expect receptivity and resistance. The same sun that melts butter hardens clay. And when the gospel is heard, some hearts are softened, some hearts are hardened, at least at that time. So what will you do this week? Will you boldly speak out and live out the way of Jesus? Will you be a blessed friend? And and when you are, I want you to know this. You won't get the credit for those who receive, and you won't get the blame for those who resist. It's all in God's hands, right? Let's pray about that. Lord Jesus, um, thank you that you have poured out the presence and power of the Holy Spirit within us. And uh, Holy Spirit, keep us mindful, aware of your gracious, powerful, perfecting presence in us. And But Lord, we confess that oftentimes we don't act like you're there. Uh, many times we've been afraid to speak out, we've been afraid to live out your way because we're afraid of what others might think of us, what they might say about us. We're afraid they might call us hypocrites, and they might be right. But Lord, each one of us, we want to ask you, how much receptivity do I miss because I'm afraid of rejection? How much opportunity do I miss because I don't want to deal with resistance? Oh, Lord. Give us the courage and the compassion to speak out and live out your way. And in your name we pray and all God's people said,